Shoftim 57.83. We are, have entered the month of Elul, and I didn't enter in a very good way this week. Uh, David's words this morning resonated with me when he said, the curses sometimes are there to drive you back to God. It was Thursday morning, 6.30 a.m. I was at work and my apprentice had called in, so I'm already in a bad mood. And to make matters worse, a couple other co-workers come over and try to help me, and you know how that is when your system gets messed up and... I was further irritated. I was being short with them, a little passive-aggressive, not being very nice, I must admit. And then I had to get into this crawl space. There's only about a nine-inch space to fit in. So I got to throw my tools in there and turn my head to the side and shimmy on in there, which I shouldn't be doing. It should be my apprentice. My coworkers asked if I needed a hand. I just ignored them. Not very nice. I get to where I have to work, and I realize that there is a little clip I have to hammer on over, and I'm done. The problem is the clip's about 10 inches from my head. I don't have much room. I have to take the hammer and sort of swing it and hit that clip really hard. And it was through that hammer that the Lord spoke to me this week. <laughs> I lay there in that crawl space, um, trying to stop the bleeding, compressing my wound, and I realized I need to work on, you know, just my attitude a little bit, not be so rammy. And so, yeah, it's times at times, it's the wake-up calls, you have to recognize them, right, sometimes, and realize, yes, I could use a little work but that's what Elul's for, right? We're in the month of Elul, so I hope that our thoughts are on self-examination and preparation, right, as we draw towards this high holy day season. Um, but there's much work to do, and the Torah gives us some more wisdom this week in Parshat Shoftim, which may help us in that effort, and so I'm going to begin there. Okay, we're going to begin there in... Parshat Shoftim, and see if we can't find a little more wisdom from the Torah to help us out in our pursuit for repentance and self-examination this week. Um, page 189 in the TLV is where you'll find the beginning of this week's Torah portion. It is Devarim, or Deuteronomy 16, verse 18 is where this week's portion begins. And it begins like this. It says, <clears throat> Judges and officers, you are to appoint within all your gates that Adonai your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they are to judge the people with righteous judgment. You are not to twist justice. You must not show partiality or take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and distorts the words of the righteous. Justice, justice you must pursue so that you may live and possess 
the land that Adonai, your God, is giving you. Now let's stop right there a minute and just reflect on this, that in every city there's supposed to be judges and officers. And also there's Kohanim living in every city. So you see the leadership structure there, there is a lot going on. Now in verse 20, where it says justice, justice, that is the Hebrew word for righteousness. Usually it's zedek. It's a fun word to say. Say that, zedek. It's a fun word. It means righteousness. And this translation, the King James, every translation I looked at uses the English word justice there, which isn't wrong. I was pleasantly surprised to see that the translators from Art Scroll and the Kumash use the English word righteousness, where it would say righteousness, righteousness you must pursue. And I really think that captures the essence of it better because a judge should be righteous. Not all judges are righteous. Judge should be righteous. And so I really like that Zedek. Zedek means righteousness, just doing what's right. Really, it's not any more complicated than that. Somebody who does what's right is a Zadik. That's a righteous one. And so it means fairness, it does mean justice, um, it even means charity. There are little box back there where people put their tithes, it's called the Zeraka box, right? It's just, it can mean charity, righteousness. But being righteous is really at the heart of what it means to be a good judge or a leader really of any kind. And this structure being put in place here in chapters really about 16 to 20 it's all about setting up this uh, leadership structure and there's a lot of people involved chapter 17 um, the now the next chapter it sort of continues down there in verse 8 it says suppose suppose a matter arises that is too hard for you to judge which means you've brought something to one series of judges and they can't figure it out. Over bloodshed, legal claims or assault, matters of controversy within your gates, then you should go up to the place, I deny, your God chooses and come to the Levitical Kohanim and the judges in charge at that time. So there's judges in charge, there's Kohanim who are also doing some work. You'll inquire and they will tell you the sentence of the judgment you are to act according to the sentence that they tell you from that place that Adonai chooses, and you're to take care to do that all that they instruct you. You're to act according to the instruction that they teach you and the judgment that they tell you. You must not turn aside from the sentence they tell you to the right or to the left. So it's very important to listen to these men's judgments, which is why it's so vital that they're righteous. And of course, um, it's not just the Kohanim or the judges. Uh, there's also commandments in here for a king. A few verses later, it says, when you come to the land that Adonai, your God, is giving you, possess it and dwell in it, you will say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. And so embedded right here in Torah is um, instructions for a king. Now you may think to yourself, wasn't the Lord very unhappy with the people wanting the king? He was telling Samuel uh, about how displeased he was with the people that the people wanted a king. That's because the people during those times wanted the king for a wrong reason. They wanted a king to be like the nations around them. They should have asked for a king 
that was going to lead them in Torah learning and um, you know, leading them to the Lord. If they would have came, in, came at it that way, I think there might have been a different reaction. But there's a lot of people involved with uh, leadership here. If you think back to Exodus chapter 19, um, Moshe's father-in-law, Yitro, tells Moshe he should put a lot of people in charge, people in charge of thousands, in charge of hundreds, in charge of fifties, and in charge of tens. So when you do the math, that's like one out of eight or nine people is actually part of this leadership structure. That's a lot of people one out of every eight in the entire country. That is, um, you talk about a lot of overhead. That's a lot of government. One out of every eight is involved in judging. But lest um, anyone's head get a little too big, because leadership sometimes has a way of doing that. Being in charge has a way of making the head swell, right? Lest uh, somebody sort of let that get away from them a little bit. There's a little bit more wisdom here. If you read down a few more verses in chapter 17, verse 18, he tells the king this. Now when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of this Torah on a scroll from what is before the Levitical Kohanim, the priests. It will remain with him, and he will read it all the days of his life in order to Learn to fear Adonai as God and keep all the words of his Torah and these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers. That's an awesome verse right there. Then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers and he will not turn from the commandment to the right or to the left so that he may prolong his days in his kingships, he and his sons in the midst of Israel. Very helpful, very impactful, I think. Studying Torah will keep the king humble. I think it will do the same for us. But being righteous, once again, as I've said a couple times, vital component to a judge or a king or anybody in leadership position because when they are not righteous, the people suffer. It's a pretty easy, simple formula you see over and over in Torah. The judges, the kings, the priests, anyone in leadership, there's two things that really stick out here. Of course, number one, righteous living, but number two, there's a work ethic involved. A lot of added work to someone's life besides their family and their career. But can you imagine the cohesiveness of this community? One in eight people, how everyone would have a real healthy way of having access to the leadership. Chances are, one of them would be a member of your own family. There would still be some poor people out there, I'd imagine, but we would not have the widespread poverty we see in different countries today. The system here keeps everyone, just that network of support throughout the uh, nation is really widespread and almost into every household. And of course, we look forward to the day when this is fully realized in the kingdom. Yeshua's king, dispensing justice to all the nations. This will be realized at the highest level. Now, our sages record that during the temple times, even the smallest communities would have at least a three-person bait deen, a house of judgment. 
Larger cities would have, would have what's called a small Sanhedrin of 23 judges, and of course the great Sanhedrin had 70 folks there with one president. And they did essentially what we read here in chapter 17 is the matters that arise, they judge over them. And it's a binding judgment. They had the power to bind and to loose, right? To permit or to forbid. Binding and loosing, binding and loosening is a very common rabbinic term. Binding and loosening is also something that may cause somebody to think of Matthew chapter 18, where we find that uh, language again. And so let's give that passage some thought. Turn there if you so please. It's on page 941 in your Bibles. Sometimes reading the word in conjunction with hearing it leaves a little bit better impression. Matthew chapter 18, this is nearing the end of his earthly ministry, and he is giving his Talmudim, his followers, some real practical life advice. And Matthew 18, verse, chapter 18, verse 18 is where said language appears. It says, this is Yeshua speaking, he says, and he's talking to his followers, his Talmudim, disciples, amen, I tell you, whatever you forbid on earth will have been forbidden in heaven, and what you permit on earth will have been permitted in heaven. The King James uses the word bind and loose. This translation uses the words um, forbid and permit. That's the same kind of uh, meaning there. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Now this is talking about judgment. There is, commonly, this is thought of as um, been taught that two or three are gathered in prayer. Yeshua is there, which isn't. Not saying that's completely wrong. Um, uh, Rabbi Stern, David Stern of blessed memory, a great Zadik himself, he has some commentary on this passage here in Matthew chapter 18. Talking about binding and loosening is something that was very common. <clears throat> but when it talks about two or three assembled in Yeshua's name, he notes that there is. Um, the usual view that is talking about prayer. Two or three people gathered in prayer, Yeshua is there with them. He writes that the problem with that is this passage is not about prayer. Although it's not wrong to make a midrash, which does apply to prayer, that's okay. All the New Testament writers tend to take things a little bit out of context to make a midrash about them. That's common kind of, you know, writing style. But nevertheless, Rather, Yeshua, speaking to those who have the authority to regulate messianic communal life, commissions them to establish new covenant messianic life to be lived in, right? He's talking about a panel of uh, two or three leaders, and they render decisions, and that can be assured that that has the authority of heaven, 
Yeshua is authorizing his followers here to develop leadership, which will soon be um, in charge of a Yeshua-centered sect of Judaism in the first century. All the churches in Rome and Ephesus, um, Corinth, these were all messianic synagogues, and they were all connected. They all had elders that were connecting all of them, people that would write letters and visit, and there was a structure there. And this is just part of that structure being put into place. All the different sects of Judaism did this. They all had their specific halakha, you know, specific to their own brand. Thankfully, we have the Gospels and we have the other letters to provide guidance for us, divinely inspired wisdom that shows us that we have many of the very same issues they had back then. But we're a long way from the first century. This world is, in some ways, very much the same, and in some ways very different. If you believe that we're in the end times, and I speak to many of you, and I know many of us are on that same page, there's some stuff to really consider and think about. Now, it is nice that the Messianic Jewish movement is really resurging again, beginning in the, uh, the last few decades. We see really a lot of what we've seen in the first century. You have a Jewish core that has started the Messianic Jewish movement once again. And there's leadership structure there that we're blessed by very much and that we can draw encouragement and support from. So that leadership structure is back during these times, just like it was in the first century. But if we believe that we're in the end times, we may not enjoy the luxury of letting all the leadership hog all of the righteousness and all of the workload. You know, we can't allow ourselves to be spoon-fed. When we get off the milk and onto solid food, you got to chew a little bit. So I think we need to, as especially going through the month of Elul, you work on repentance. And that means you do good things and you work on self-examination. That means you probably have some work to do. These themes really go hand in hand. There's some great encouragement from that I read this week, this week in the book of 2 Timothy that we will, yes, 2 Timothy, in your Bibles, that's page 1158, because we're, I'm in this, uh, I'm always thinking about the end times and thinking about the goal, the kingdom, because as many of us see it, it's on its way sooner than later. And, at, and during Elul, we're going to prepare for that, but we also have to uh, multitask this month, not take our eyes off that as well. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, but understand this, that in the last days hard times will come. Now, ask yourself if any of these things sound familiar. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, hard-hearted, unforgiving, or backbiting, without self-control, brutal, hating what is good. It's an interesting one. Hating what is good. That's not very tolerant. 
treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to an outward form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people, right? That's just, it's hard not to read through that list and not start to make a whole lot of check marks about what we're seeing today. Now, Stern also notes that every, it's been a couple thousand years since Yeshua's time, and every century, every generation thinks they're the last generation. It's just in the last hundred years, you see how far mankind has progressed and digressed, and the state of Israel coming back and the people being brought back, it just seems like the times are a little bit different, a little bit primed for something to be happening. But let's continue reading a little bit farther down. Here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 10, you, however, closely followed my teachings, manner of life, purpose, faithfulness, patience, love, perseverance, as well as persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what prosecutions I've endured, and the Lord rescued me from them all. It's encouraging to hear. People are going to do a little bit of suffering. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Messiah will be prosecuted. We should be prepared for this. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and be deceived. But here's where we draw some hope from. You, however, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, right? We need to be strong in our convictions. For you know from whom you have learned and that from childhood you have, have known the sacred writings that are able to make you wise. What are these sacred writings that are able to make him wise that they've known since childhood? That would, of course, be the Tanakh, the Torah, and the prophets. Leading to salvation through trusting in Messiah Yeshua. For all scriptures inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, we should be doing a little reproof during the month of Elul. For restoration, some of that too. And for training in righteousness, right? Zedek, righteousness. We've got to be a little multitasking. And I like how it's a little bit of reproof, a little bit of restoration, and then a little bit of zedaka, a little bit of righteousness, so that a person belonging to God may be capable, fully equipped for every good deed. You know, just like the requirements for leaders, righteousness and hard work is expected in every disciple. The more one is set apart by the Lord and made holy, the greater sense of that that, that person feels and experiences. Alol is, of course, a time for repentance and self-examination. One aspect of repentance is that it leads to righteous living, seeking zadik status, Seeking righteousness, like our master says in Matthew chapter 5, right? Thirsting for righteousness, he tells us. And one aspect of self-examination is that it leads to hard work. Work for the sake of our community and for the sake of his kingdom. So let us be seeking righteousness, zedakah, and service to the kingdom and continue to do that this month. I will close with this. It is traditional during the month of Elul to be reading Psalm 27. And so this morning, I am going to close with Psalm 27. It's on page 641. If you have a book like this one, it's 735. 
is where it begins. If you have the Tree of Life Family Bible, which I like because the font is just a little bit larger. Psalm 27, traditionally read twice daily, so read it once more this afternoon to fulfill the mitzvah. Psalm 27, let your heart take courage, it says. Of David, Adonai is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? Adonai is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers approach me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army camp besieges me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I have asked of Adonai that I will seek, to dwell in the house of Adonai all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Adonai and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his sukkah, conceal me in the shelter of his tent and set me high upon a rock. Then will my head be high above my enemies around me. In his tabernacle, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, sing praises to Adonai. Hear Adonai when I call with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. To you, my heart says, seek my face. Your face, Adonai, I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God, my salvation. Though my father and my mother forsake me, Adonai, take me in. Teach me your way, Adonai, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not turn me over to, de to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. Surely I trust that I will see the goodness of Adonai in the land of the living. Wait for Adonai. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for Adonai. Amen and amen. Shabbat shalom.